We are talking about the Gospel of Mark, uh, and we've talked about how we have been amazed by Jesus. And two weeks ago when we looked at Mark chapter 1, we just saw how amazing the pace of his ministry, right? In one chapter alone, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's exercising demons. He just can't be stopped. As soon as he amazes one crowd, he moves on to the next one. He straight away goes to the next part of his mission. Last week, though, we slowed way down and focused on his act of forgiveness. And we saw that he demonstrated his authority on earth to forgive sins. This week, we're not going to talk about the pace of his ministry. We're not going to talk about his authority. We're going to talk about an amazing aspect of his teaching. And we read parts of Mark chapter 3 today. We're not going to spend all of our time there. We're not going to go verse by verse. But we're going to connect what we heard today with other parts of other Gospels uh, to view Jesus' entire teaching on the true meaning of the family. Um, this topic is really hard to talk about in our culture. It's really hard to make any kind of universal statements. Americans come from so many different backgrounds. Uh, some marriages have stayed together. Uh, some marriages have ended in divorce. We're instilled with a lot of different values about the family. Some of you grew up in a culture that told you to respect your elders, and that was very normal for you to hear when you were young. Other generations are instilled with the value that youth brings better uh, perspective. And my point there is just that the spectrum of experiences and values of the family are very wide and very diverse. And when I look at Christ's teaching on the family, to be frank, I also see a spectrum. Depending upon the circumstances, his emphasis is completely different. So I want to just give you some examples of what I'm talking about. On one occasion, Jesus is asked by a man how to inherit eternal life. And this is the dialogue that we have on the screen behind me of what is said next, okay? Jesus says, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the man says, which ones? And Jesus replies, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. And then what does he say next? Honor your father and mother, okay? So these words make Jesus sound very pro-family, okay? On a completely different occasion, there are some crowds following Jesus, and without any prompting at all, this is what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Y'all, I'm not putting words into the mouth of Jesus, okay? You can look it up in Luke chapter 14. This is what Jesus says, okay? So in a Jewish culture where family is paramount, it doesn't take a PhD to understand how scandalous that would be. It's hard to understand and reconcile his words. You want to say, which is it, Jesus? You know, in one breath, you're saying, honor your father and mother, and in another breath, you're saying, hate. Now, because I'm a Christian, because I believe Jesus is the Son of God, I don't think he contradicts himself. I think that if we don't immediately understand Jesus' words, we have to be patient. We've got to take our time to figure out what exactly he means. But I think these three things are undeniable. His teaching on the family is complex. His teaching on the family is controversial, and his teaching on the family 
is compelling, okay? So today, we're not going to dumb it down. We're not going to pretend that these words don't exist. We're not going to whitewash it. We're not going to make it palatable to us and make it unchallenging. But we're also not going to rob it of its power because what Jesus has to say about the family is good news. It may be difficult news, but it's good news. So I want to go back to Mark 3 and start with the roll call of his apostles because I think what Mark is doing here is giving us a larger context of Jesus' teaching on the family, okay? We are told about these 12 men that Jesus picks, and in a frustrating way, we actually don't know a lot about each of these 12 individuals, but I've highlighted two of them that I think uh, demonstrate how uh, uh, diverse these disciples are. There's first Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector, okay? If you just took these two men and put them in a group together, you could not find two people who were further right on two edges of extremes about their approach to the Roman Empire, right? Matthew, the tax collector, takes taxes from his fellow Jews and gives them to the oppressors. Simon, the zealot, would take up arms and kill people, kill Roman soldiers, okay? That's what being a zealot means, So Jesus calls two very different men to be among his 12. Now, at the same time, if you look up on those, that list of names, there are a couple brothers in the 12, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James and John. So just in the 12, if you look at the men I've mentioned, Jesus picks natural enemies and natural allies to be among his followers. I think what Mark is doing here is very intentional. He's setting up a tension between the followers of Jesus and the family of Jesus. The followers who who go around with him in his ministry and the family who seem to be concerned, okay? This is the first mention we get of Jesus' family in the Gospel of Mark, okay? And it's pretty vague, but I think we need to look at it. It says, when Jesus' family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Now, this is frustrating in how generic it is. We don't know everything the family heard or which part scandalized them. It may have been the healings or the exorcisms or his calling of the 12. The summary of the rumor is Jesus is off his rocker, okay? He is out of his mind. Whatever he's doing and whatever he's saying, this is enough to convince his family back in Nazareth that he is beside himself. He's not right in the head, okay? Now, do you see where it says, take charge of him, okay? That same word is used when the mob comes to arrest Jesus, to seize him, okay? I think the image that we're supposed to get in our heads is that he's got some family back in Nazareth, maybe some older male relatives, cousins, or uncles who think it is their job to bring back Jesus and put him under their authority. Remember, at this point, Jesus' father is probably deceased, so this extended family is thinking, Jesus is out of control. We've got to rein him in. He's mentally imbalanced, okay? So they travel, they hear this word, they hear he's, he's not in control of his thoughts, and they travel from their home to where Jesus is. And when they arrive, Jesus is teaching, okay? His mother and brothers arrive, 
and standing outside because of a crowd, they send someone in to call upon him. And the messenger says to Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Okay? Now, perhaps they are expecting dutiful son Jesus, right, to stop his teaching, interrupt what he's saying, and go outside and talk with them, address the issue. But he does something unexpected. He asks a question. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are my mother and my brothers? Okay, so they say, hey, your mother and brothers are outside, and he actually says, well, who are they? And looking around at those seated in his circle, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother, okay? Jesus is saying that these men and women who have chosen to sit down and listen to his teachings, they're not just followers, they are family. He's not just out there looking for fans. He is establishing a spiritual family based on obedience to God the Father. And the people seated around him are taking priority over his biological family at the door. They are actually closer in proximity to Christ than his relatives outside. If the question is, who is the family of Jesus? One answer is, those who do God's will. Now, that's just a couple of verses in Mark chapter 3, but we're looking at it because it helps us interpret that really difficult verse from Luke 14. Jesus is going to teach at some point in his ministry this very scandalous idea. You can't be my disciple unless you hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children. Those are words that come out of his mouth. And if he means hate in the way that we normally use that word, he would totally be contradicting himself. Okay? If you look in the Sermon on the Mount, he warns his followers about anger, the emotion of anger. I don't think Jesus is contradicting himself. I think he's exaggerating. Jesus, like every good rabbi at the time, would get his point across through exaggeration, right? He says at one point in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye causes you to sin, do what? Tear it out and throw it away. Now, if your right eye has ever caused you to sin, are you being disobedient if you still have two functioning eyes today? No, okay? He is saying, cut sin off at the source. He's using hyperbole. He says, you can't be my disciple unless you hate your family. And what he means is, I'm drawing a line in the sand. If there is a choice, if there is a choice between me or your family, if it's an either or, you've got to pick me. Now, some of you, I don't know if you grew up in church or not, maybe your, your parents were Christians and they, they raised you in our faith. This slide on the screen is, must be very difficult to comprehend or understand. You'd think, I, I was raised to obey and respect my parents. I don't know how there could ever be a choice between them and Jesus. But there are plenty of Christians around the world who know exactly what Jesus means by this. 
okay? Some of y'all, raise your hand if you know Daniel Napier, the, the missionary who we've supported. Okay, so he came a while back and shared some stories about his experience in Greece, okay? There are a lot of Muslim immigrants and refugees who risk a lot in their life to, to come to Greece. And so he's actually interacting with a lot of Muslims from the Middle East, and they are interested in converting to Christianity, okay? But you know one thing they know for sure if they become a Christian? They will be disowned. It's not like a 50-50, I wonder if my parents will still approve of me. Many of them know. My father will never call me son. My mother will never call me daughter ever again if I follow Jesus. They know what Jesus means when he says, if there is a choice between me or your family, you have to pick me. They know that cost. They know that this is what Jesus is asking. Jesus is saying, I'm above your family. I take priority over your family. I am more important than they are. So, what if your family has an opinion about how you ought to live, and it goes against what Christ is calling you to do? Right? Do we simply shrug our shoulders and not ask any more questions? Do we just say, well, I mean, it's what, it's what my family's plan for me is. I know what Jesus is asking, but wouldn't want to contradict them. I think this is why he chose such shocking words. I mean, can we actually be his disciples if we say, sorry, Jesus, my family is more important than you? This is what he means. If there's an either or, if it's one or the other, if they're mutually exclusive, what will you do? Now, I don't want us to misunderstand what Jesus is saying or what I'm saying. He is not saying that every choice in your life is between him or your family, right? When the choice comes down to it, we've got to pick him. But he's not saying that every choice in life is between him and the family. And we know that he doesn't mean this because of his very last action on planet Earth, okay? The last thing he did, he's being crucified on the cross, and he looks down and he sees a man and a woman, who does he see? His mother and the disciple whom he loved. Okay? This is his last, last breaths on planet Earth before he dies. And he says, woman, behold your son. And he says to his beloved disciple, behold your mother. And we read in the Gospel of John from that point on, from that hour on, the disciple took Mary into his home. What is Jesus' last action on earth? He is trying to protect and provide for his widowed mother. Jesus honored his mother. This is not a contradiction. Not every choice in life is between us, between our families and Jesus. We have countless opportunities to honor our parents, love our families, and provide for our children. This is why I said his teaching on the family is complex. You don't want to pick one or the other. We can't ignore the ones that we don't like and accept the ones we do like. And his teaching applies to different followers in different ways. 
Think back for a second to the, the 12 men that we talked about that he chose, right? James and John were brothers biologically, okay? But when they started following Jesus for the first time, they became spiritual brothers. And some of you probably actually know how special it is to have earthly siblings who share your faith. This is a beautiful part of life. I've got two big brothers who play this role in mine. They are Christians, and I love sharing faith together. But we know that some of Jesus' relatives did not believe in him. We know that they struggled to accept his status as the Messiah. They were his earthly family, but not in his spiritual family. And many of us know how painful it is to believe in Jesus and to have family who does not share our faith. Or just think about Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. They, just by their lifestyles, just by the nickname after their name, we know that they were enemies. But the moment Jesus pointed at them and chose them, they now have to call each other brothers. And that spiritual bond challenges all of their previous views of each other. So when we ask, what does Jesus believe about the family? Well, it's complicated. I have the East family. That's my family. My wife, my children, my brothers, my parents. And I love my earthly family. But now Jesus has another answer to that question. Jesus, Mitch, you know that your family is also the church. And if you obey my will, they are your brothers and sisters, too. Have any of you heard that phrase, blood is thicker than water? Raise your hand if you've heard that, that phrase, okay? I did, not, uh, I did not know that phrase. I, I read it um, while studying for, for this sermon. And for those of you who are as unfamiliar with it as I am, it just means that family loyalty uh, is stronger than relationships outside of the family. Your blood is thicker than water. And my question as I thought about this proverb is, does Jesus believe that? I mean, a messenger comes to him and says, hey, your family, your blood, right, your relatives, they're right outside. And he points to the people seated in his circle and says, well, here's my family. I mean, imagine that message getting back to the mother and brothers, right? You think they would be offended a little bit? A little concerned? A confused? I mean, the New Testament, I think, would actually flip that proverb on its head. Water is thicker than blood, right? Because when you're baptized, right, you join the family of God. You are adopted as a son or daughter of God. And Jesus thinks that that family... That spiritual family is more important. His teaching is clearly controversial. It was controversial then, but it should be controversial today. If you have this amount of love for your family, I'm sure this morning has been frustrating. We've got to ask ourselves as disciples, in what ways have I valued my family more than Jesus? Um, I, I was a part of a, of a church uh, for a year called St. Aldate's. It was in uh, Oxford, England, but part of my job there was to work at a church outside of Oxford in a little city called Barton, and the church there was called St. Mary's, 
and uh, my the the guy I was working for, his name was Eric Bossword, and he was a priest. And they would always ask questions of Christian parents before they became members of the church. Okay, so there's these series of questions. And one of the questions that the priest Eric would always ask is, to, and this is to father and mother when the baby is just an infant, will you support your child if God calls them into ministry? Just yes or no. Will you support your child if God calls them into ministry? And Eric told me a story about a time where a dad looked at him and just said, I, I honestly don't know if I can say yes to that question. And I think that's exactly the kind of dilemma that we're talking about this morning. What if God wants something different for your kids than what you want for them? I mean, have you ever seen what God is doing in, in your child's life and been upset about it? I mean, who wins in the end, you or God? Again, if we love our families, this is controversial to say the least. But here's why I think it's compelling. I don't think it's all bad news. I don't think it's all difficult news. I believe his teaching is good news because no matter what your earthly family is like, whether it's good or bad or somewhere in between, your earthly family is, by definition, temporary. Your mother, your father, your sisters, your brothers, your wife, your husband, your son or daughter, the earthly family, however good it is, will end at some point in the future. But Jesus offers us a family that is eternal. Your father, your earthly father, may be great, he may be terrible, he may be somewhere in between, but your heavenly father is perfect and everlasting. Your siblings may be wonderful, your siblings may be a nightmare, I don't know, but Jesus says that you can be his brother. There's this classic song that I grew up singing in, in Churches of Christ called As the Deer, okay? Let's see if y'all know this lyric. You are my friend and you are my brother, even though you are my king. Think about that for a second. You, you, it may come more naturally to think of Jesus as Lord or Savior or Redeemer. You may even think of him as friend. But Jesus also says you can be his brother. And for some of us, we think, oh, that's a little bit too intimate or a little bit too close or too connected. But that's what the Bible says. In Hebrews, the author says Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so if he's not ashamed to do it, why should we? That's the promise Jesus makes. You can be in his spiritual family forever. Doesn't matter who you are. If you sit at his feet and you listen to his words and you do the will of his father, you can be in his family. And this is what he promises to anybody who loses family for him. There's this point, man, I just love Peter. He says to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And that's true. Peter dropped his nets. He dropped his life, and he followed Jesus, and he says, what then will there be for us? Man, have you ever asked that question of Christ? What are you going to give back to me for what I've given to you? And Jesus actually doesn't rebuke him for this. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive what? A hundred times as much 
and will inherit eternal life. If you lose family for Jesus, like we know so many Muslim converts have done for Christ, Jesus says, I am promising you a spiritual family, and it lasts forever. So I believe the earthly family is a good gift from God. I think that's part of what scripture teaches us, and I'm very grateful for mine. But the family of Jesus is greater. And he offers adoption into that family to anyone. When he says whoever, he really means whoever. It's an offer to all. God can be your father, and Jesus can be your brother. I want to pray for anybody in this room or watching online who may want to be in the family of Christ. Let's bow our heads. God, we just ask for deeper understanding of Christ's teaching. Some of these words are so hard to fathom. For those of us who may love our families and appreciate where we've come from, it just seems impossible to put something before them. If we have had a difficult experience in our families, we might realize just how good of an offer it is to be a part of a family that lasts forever. God, we pray for a deeper comprehension of Christ's words. But not just that, we want to obey them. We want to sit at his feet and do your will. God, we ask that if there's any way that we prioritize our family over Christ, if we've picked our, our family over him, that we would repent and change our ways, that we would always choose Jesus before anything else, above everything else. But God, I also pray for the ability to honor our father and mother, to do what Jesus did so often and especially at the end of his life. God, we pray that we would hold these things in tension with one another, that we would never ignore any part of his words. We just want to obey them, and we want to obey every single one of them. We pray for your Holy Spirit to empower us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.